21, Proverbs 21, but we're also going to be doing a quick tour through the New Testament. So if you want to go to 1 Corinthians 15 as well, Proverbs 21, 1 Corinthians 15, and let's pray. Lord, thankful to be here this morning, even amongst the weather and the holiday weekend, people traveling, thankful for you that could come out. And Lord, I pray that they are blessed. I pray that we keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on you. You would be glorified in all things, that the gospel be presented, that the saints be equipped. Help us to grasp and understand all things through your wisdom, your guidance, your direction, your spirit. You teach and we listen in your name. Amen. So, Proverbs 21, and we're also going to be starting out in 1 Corinthians 15. Doing a little tour through the New Testament here. Um, I've been teaching for 20 plus years, and one of the things I've realized when it comes to teaching for that long is this. There are certain message, messages that I just absolutely love. I'm excited to present them. I absolutely love them. I can't wait to get in there and teach it, and those are the messages that you guys get absolutely nothing out of. There are messages that I think, oh my goodness, they're going to fire me. I won't even be around next Sunday. And those are the ones that you guys come up and say, oh, Pastor James, that was the greatest message ever. The message this morning is one I'm very excited about, so it means you'll get nothing out of it. If you want to leave at this moment, I completely understand. Just drop your tithes and offerings off on the way, please. So, with that being said, I love this type of message because we get to establish a truth of God then go to the book of Proverbs and see him teach about that. And then we're going to go to the Old Testament and pick an example of a life that lived it out. I love these types of messages. You get the theology of it, then you get Proverbs with it, since we're going through Proverbs, and then you get an Old Testament example of it. And what we're going to talk about today is a fancy term, and it's not a word that we use a lot in our English language, but it's this idea of being a dichotomy, something very black and white, either win or you lose. And this idea is the sovereignty of God. But here's the problem with this. As you study out the Bible, you can't help but see the sovereignty of God over everything. But yet at the same time, I'm still making choices. That sounds very contradictory. God is there. He's powerful. He's active. He's moving puzzle pieces in ways I cannot see or imagine. But yet at the same time, I am making a free will choice to do things. But yet God's sovereignty is still in effect. That's what I love about this. I want to put this into practice here a little bit. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 10. Something that sounds like a contradiction, but yet it's not. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Did you, did you catch that in verse 10? Paul says, it's by the grace of God, I am what I am. But yet, middle of verse 10, I worked harder than anybody else. But at the end of verse 10, it was really the grace of God working in me. That's exactly what we're talking about. So it's God's grace working in Paul, but yet Paul's working really, really hard. But yet it's really God's grace working in Paul that's making Paul work really, really hard. That sounds like a contradiction, but yet in God's mind it's not. See, here's the thing about the sovereignty of God. I really do believe sometimes that our minds are so feeble and small and finite for us to truly grasp how often God is moving things around that we do not see or understand. It's hard for us to see this because I look at 1 Corinthians 15 and I see Paul saying, it's God's grace working in me, but yet I worked really, really hard, but yet it was God's grace working in me. Yep, that's exactly right. Let's look at another example. Let's go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. 
In Philippians chapter 2, you see the same concept here in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do good for his good pleasure. So I'm supposed to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, but yet, verse 13, it is God who works in me to do it. Yeah. Now, please understand, I have to stress this point. You're not working for your salvation, you're working out your salvation. Huge difference. If you get into working out, you're not creating new muscles as you work out. You're taking the muscles that exist and making them stronger. So when you're working out your salvation, you're not working for your salvation. You're taking the salvation that is already there through Christ Jesus. And you're making it a deeper, stronger walk with Christ. So I am called in verse 12 to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. But yet, verse 13, it's God doing all the work in me. Well, that sounds like an opposite. But yet, in God's mind, it's not. I'm working out my salvation, yeah, but God is working in me. Back to the sovereignty of God. I'm making choices, but yet God's sovereign. One last example of this, 1 Timothy chapter 1, please. 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. I'm in the ministry because God counted me faithful because he enabled me. So why am I in the ministry? Because I was faithful. Well, did I do it? No, God enabled me to be faithful so therefore I'm in the ministry. This is exactly what we're talking about. I work, but yet God works in me. God qualified me, but I was faithful. God's grace made me what I am, what I am, but I worked really hard for it. This is exactly what we're talking about. God is sovereign, but yet I still make choices. And it's not a contradiction to the Lord in any way whatsoever. In his system, it works perfectly. That's why Paul says, I was faithful, but yet God enabled me. I work out my salvation, but yet it's God who's working in me. Paul saying, I am what I am, but yet I worked harder than anybody else, but it was God's grace that worked in me. Anything you have here today is because the Lord gave that to you, and you're walking in that. Like we talked about last week, even the breath in your lungs is from the Lord. But yet in that, you can make choices to either go deeper or not go deeper in the Lord. The problem with the sovereignty of God, we get two extremes on this. We've got to be careful with both extremes. Extreme number one is this idea that God just spun the world into existence, placed you on earth, then stepped back and said, whatever happens, happens. That's not the sovereignty of God. That's God just watching his creations, not getting involved. The Bible makes it clear he is involved in all everything. The other extreme is this. You won't get out of bed in the morning because you don't know what socks to wear. And you have to make sure you have the sovereignty of God. Should you wear black socks or blue socks? That's taking it to an extreme. You have to be careful. But the God we serve does this. Please remember these verses. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows in Matthew chapter 10 when a sparrow dies. He knows according to Psalm 29 when the deer give birth. Do you want to serve a God that doesn't know those things? 
I want to serve a God that knows how many hair I have on my head. I want to serve the God that knows where the sparrows die. I want to know, serve the God that knows when the deer give birth. I want to serve a God that is so sovereign. He knows and is over everything. But yet, going back to what Paul says, I still make choices and God works in those choices for his glory. And I trust those even when it doesn't make sense. And I understand that there's this dichotomy going on. Of he is sovereign, but yet I make choices. I work out my salvation, but yet he works in me. God qualified me, but I was faithful. And God's grace made me what I am, what I am, but yet I work harder. And that's what we're going to study here today. So I hope that that introduction helped at least lays a foundation stone of trusting the sovereignty of God. Now we're going to go to Proverbs and see this put into practical effort. And then we're going to finish with an example in the Old Testament. Because I want you guys to understand there is a God out there that is all-knowing, all-encompassing. And he is sovereign over our lives. But yet he works through so many different ways and so many different things. Go with me now to Proverbs chapter 21, please. We'll be in Proverbs 21, 22, and 23 this morning. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The Bible says God raises up and tears down kingdoms. He's sovereign. Please remember that the next time the political elections come around and we're getting really worked up about things, that you serve a sovereign God that builds up kingdoms and tears down kingdoms. Why else in the world would the Medes and the Persians give money and resources to Nehemiah and Ezra to go back and rebuild a temple and rebuild a wall. Makes no sense for them to do that, but that's exactly what they did because the Lord used them. Why else would God raise up Babylon to come be a spiritual spanking stick to Judah? Because the Lord used him and raised them up. The Lord raises up kingdoms. The Lord tears down kingdoms. He is sovereign, and the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The Lord uses those things. Proverbs 21, verse 30. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. There's none. It's all the Lord. Did did you really think in verse 30 that we're going to get something past God? We're going to fool him on something? No, there's no wisdom or counsel or understanding against the Lord. He's sovereign. He's complete, utter control over all things. And we sit here sometimes as a people, as a nation, and we start thinking, oh, Lord, don't you see? Don't you see what's going on morally? We can't even define what marriage is anymore. People are choosing death, and they're not choosing life. This is what's considered normal and acceptable. He knows. And his sovereignty, he knows exactly what's going on, and the world will be judged. We know that. And we also have a personal choice with that. But there's no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. The world's not winning. Verse 31, I think, shows us perfectly both sides of this. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. There is an understanding that I'm preparing the horse for battle, but yet the Lord is giving deliverance. The Lord brings the victory, but somebody has to prepare the horse. Somebody has to feed the horse. Somebody has to saddle the horse. Somebody has to go out there and swing the sword. But who is bringing the deliverance? Verse 31, the Lord. What a great verse to show both sides exactly of what we're talking about. Somebody prepared the horse for battle, but God gives the victory. If you sit there and you watch the gas gauge in your car going down, 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 you know to go put fuel in your vehicle. 
You're not going to sit there and say, sovereignty of God, if he wants me to have fuel, he'll fill it up for me. You can. And he's God. He can do that. If you've ever studied out the widow's oil in the Old Testament, fluid levels mean nothing to him. But at the same time, too, there's a preparation on your part here. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. Keep this same mindset here. Just jump ahead to chapter 23 real quick. Look at verse 12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. I I see this this balance a lot in what I do. I I get up to teach on a Sunday morning, Wednesday, or one of the Bible studies throughout the week. I, I pray for the word of wisdom. I pray for the word of knowledge. I pray for the gift of teaching. And I pray that the Holy Spirit leads and guides all my words and what I say and what I do. But you know what else I do? I spend a lot of hours in the week preparing for the message. I'm out there studying, marking verses, underlining. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself to an approved workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. I need to have myself prepared to teach. But then also, John 14.26, The Holy Spirit brings to mind and remembrance the words. So there is a preparation responsibility on my part, but then there ultimately is the Holy Spirit that leads, guides, and teaches that the Lord then takes over. That's exactly what we're seeing here in this verse in Proverbs 21, 31. Someone has prepared the horse for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. God is sovereign. But in walking in my choices in this world, I'm walking in his sovereignty, and I have responsibilities with that. I go back to those three references from Paul. I work, but it's God who works in me. God qualified me, but I was faithful. God's grace made me what I am, but I am. But I also worked harder than anybody else. That's not a contradiction. That's the God we serve. Take a look at Proverbs 22, verse 3. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. We don't really use that word prudent enough. It's not a 21st century word. I really encourage you as a believer, throw the word prudent into your vocabulary. It is a great word. The way we define prudent is this. Wisdom in action. It's not just knowing what to do, but it's also knowing how to apply it. And you go put it in action. So prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. Meaning I see evil coming and I take steps and actions to say I don't want to get in trouble. The sovereignty of God reveals the evil coming, and then in my choice, I stop and say, I don't want to do anything with this. Prudence, wisdom, and action. And then what else do I do? Proverbs 22, verse 5. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. I also guard my soul. I take steps to realize that is evil and I don't want to be near it. And the Lord reveals that. So I have a personal responsibility to stop and say, I want to walk pure in an impure world. I just don't step back and say, okay, fine, if I sin, I sin. No, I take steps to say, I don't want to sin. I want to live for the Lord. I want things to be different. I choose to walk in righteousness. I choose to walk in what is good, right, holy, and just, and I trust that in the sovereignty of God, He leads me and He helps me. How many hundreds of times in your life have you prayed what we call the Lord's Prayer? And you pray, lead me not into temptation. Lord, in your sovereignty, lead me on the right path and help me to guard my soul, to choose what is right. I choose to do this. Jump ahead to Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. 
Also, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. You have a choice to buy truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Do you honestly think that you're going to become this deep, crazy, on-fire Christian for Jesus Christ by sitting there and doing absolutely nothing? Well, if the Lord wants me to know it, he could supernaturally put it into my mind. Yes, he could. He's God. But the way he's designed the system is that you choose to work, study, and learn, and grow, and the Holy Spirit blesses that. Well, if God wants to keep me from sin, he'll keep sin from me. God has also taught us and trained us to learn to say no to sin, guarding our soul, watching where we step, watching where we walk. So what it comes down to is this, Proverbs 23, 23. Are you going to buy truth, wisdom, and instruction, and understanding? Are you going to trust the sovereignty of God is moving and doing things in your life even when you don't see it nor understand it? Or are you just going to walk aimlessly through life day by day? Man, I, what a blessing to know that I serve a God who is over all things and I can trust that he is moving in ways I can't even see nor imagine. But he's asking me to make choices that take me deeper in him. Proverbs 22, verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply your heart to my knowledge, for it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer the words of truth to those who send to you? Look at the effort on our part. The effort on our part here, start in verse 17. Incline, listen, pay attention, bow down your ear, apply, turn your ear, keep, fixed, be ready, trust. These are, this is effort on our part. That even though I understand and trust that God is over all things, he's asking me to make conscious choices, to guard my soul, watch what I do, watch what I read, watch what I do here, and to grow and go deeper in Jesus Christ in all ways and all things. I hope that you can slowly start to see this idea that God is sovereign and in charge, but yet at the same time, too, I'm making these choices on what takes me deeper in him, but yet it's not overruling his sovereignty in any way whatsoever. If this is still a little gray and a little murky to you, let's go back to the Old Testament now. Genesis 37, please. Now let's talk about the life of Joseph. Joseph is a wonderful example of choices being made, but yet all done in the sovereignty of God. Genesis is a fascinating book of the Bible. When you think of Genesis, you normally think of creation. And that is what Genesis is about. But Genesis is actually a pretty easy book to stop and make a quick little uh, computations, if you will, of what the book is really about. There's 50 chapters in Genesis, so we can do the math pretty quick. So it's about creation... But only the first two chapters are about creation. So 4% of the book of Genesis is about creation. Then you would stop and say, okay, well, then it must really be about Noah. Okay, well, Noah is really chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. So Noah only takes up a few chapters. Well, it's really got to be about Abraham then. Well, Abraham takes up a few. According to the amount of chapters devoted, do you know who the most main character is in the book of Genesis? Joseph. Joseph gets 13 chapters. 26% of the book of Genesis is about Joseph. I think God's trying to make a point here a little bit. It's kind of interesting because Joseph, if you look at it, of the major characters in the Old Testament, 
Really, only Joseph and Daniel are the only two represented that really don't have any glaring major sins in their life. Now, you can make a case for like, well, Caleb, but you don't really, I mean, Caleb takes a few chapters here and there, but I'm saying major characters. Daniel's mentioned multiple times, Joseph, and you really don't see something glaring in them. So what a life to study. And I want you to study this out with me, and I want you to remember everything that we've talked about thus far. We have laid the foundation that you serve a sovereign God that knows the hairs on your head when the sparrows die and when the deer give birth. We serve a sovereign God that also chooses to work in our decisions. Like Paul said, I work out my salvation, but it's God who works in me. God has qualified me, but I was faithful. God made me what I am, but I am, but I also worked hard. I have prepared a lesson, but the Holy Spirit does the teaching. With that understanding, let's break this down now and talk about the sovereignty of God involved in the life of Joseph. A lot of people don't realize this, but Joseph kind of had a miraculous birth to start with. Now, he didn't have a virgin birth like Jesus or anything like that, but yet this was kind of a miraculous birth. You don't need to turn there. But his mother, Rachel, was not able to have children. So what happens in Genesis 30, verse 22, then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Joseph means the Lord will add. So God remembered Rachel and opened her womb. Sovereignty of God. For years, Rachel couldn't have children. God was sovereign over that. And then Rachel could have a child. God was sovereign over that. So we see from the beginning, even with his birth, the sovereignty of God. Now we're in Genesis 37. At this time, Joseph is about 17 years old. He's a teenager. And Joseph is having these dreams. You know the dreams. Dreams that are making Joseph great and his brothers bow down and worship him. Sovereignty of God. Joseph didn't choose to have those dreams. I don't know about you. I dream a lot about a lot of different things. Sometimes I believe it's of the Lord. The Bible makes it clear. He can work through dreams. There's other dreams I have that I sure hope aren't of the Lord in any way whatsoever. It says in the book of Ecclesiastes, sometimes through much activity, dreams happen. Be careful of overanalyzing dreams. Sometimes they can be of the Lord, and sometimes it's just a brain, your organ, that doesn't want to shut down. Ecclesiastes mentions that as well. But he has these dreams, and these dreams are of God. Did he do this? No, he didn't do this. It's the sovereignty of God that he had these dreams. So then what happens is this. It's just a typical day in the life of Joseph. And Joseph is sent out to the fields to check on his brothers to see what he's doing. Now we have to stop at this time and mention his coat, the coat of many colors. It's really a bad translation from the Hebrew. It doesn't really mean they had a coat of many colors. And men had this really big coat with really long sleeves and long flowing, possibly one piece of garment. This is a coat that you didn't work in. You couldn't work in it. Imagine having a blue-collar job where you know you're going to get dirty and some guy shows up and says, I'm ready to work, and he's wearing a three-piece suit. You're not ready to work. You're ready to be the boss. Joseph right here wearing this coat shows he wasn't going to be doing any work. His brothers knew that. This was the favorite son. This was the son that had been wanted for a long time with the favored wife. This was the boy that didn't have to do anything. And he's the one sent to the field to go check on his brothers. So what happens? Verse 18. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, the dreamer is coming, therefore let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Sovereignty of God for his brothers to hate him and to want to kidnap him and kill him. 
Stay with me on this one. Because we're going to build this all the way up to the end. And you'll see what I'm talking about. The sovereignty of God was for his brothers to do this to him. Verse 28, same chapter. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit. And sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 seconds of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Sovereignty of God for Joseph now to be sold as a slave and to be taken to Egypt. This was God's plan. Sovereignty of God. Verse 36, same chapter. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. God's plan for Joseph now to be sold as a slave to Potiphar. Let's just repeat Genesis 37. It was God's sovereign plan for his brothers to kidnap him, to sell him as a slave, to be taken to Egypt and to be sold into Potiphar's house. God's perfect sovereign plan. This is the sovereignty of God working through many choices of many people doing many things. What happens now in Egypt? Verse 1, Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. He was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he put under his authority. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house, all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was on that all that he had in the house and all the field this is God's perfect plan God's perfect plan to verse 2 to call Joseph successful successful would you consider this successful 17 years old kidnapped and hated by your brothers sold to the Midianites as a slave sold now to Egypt and you're in a different culture different everything and God says in verse 2 you're successful God has a different definition of success than what you do. Please be very careful. You do not define success from your perspective. Define success from God's perspective. Joseph is successful. Not only successful, verse 5, he's blessed. Blessed. He is blessed to be sold as a slave and now in Egypt. He is successful. He is blessed. God's favor is on him. Verse 4, this is exactly what God wanted. He is perfectly in God's plan and sovereignty. Sure doesn't look like it though, does it? That means if you're here this morning and your world is falling apart, and I'm assuming that there's no major unconfessed sin in your life that you're trying to purposely cause problems in, God's sovereignty is working in your life. Physically, you're not in perfect health. God's sovereignty is working in your life. Finances aren't working out the way you want. God's sovereignty is working in your life. It's a difficult season right now. God's sovereignty is working in your life. He is. Just like in Joseph. Joseph is successful, blessed, all while being a slave in Egypt because God's sovereignty is amazing and perfect. What happens now in Genesis 39? Well, there's Potiphar's wife. You remember the story from Sunday school. Potiphar's wife kind of takes a liking to Joseph. Joseph's a young man. She likes him. She wants him. She makes advances towards him. Joseph, in his personal choice, knows it's wrong, flees, runs. So she now accuses him of rape. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. I think God's trying to make a point in verse 20 when he uses the word prison or prisoner or prison three times. 
21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Sovereignty of God, Joseph is now in prison. Okay, he went from being a slave in a house to being in prison. This is God's sovereign plan. That means sometimes it gets worse before it gets better and you can be perfectly in God's plan because the Lord wants him in prison. The Lord wanted Joseph kidnapped by his brothers. The Lord wanted him sold to the Midianites. The Lord wanted him put in Potiphar's house. The Lord wanted, listen to this, the Lord wanted a false accusation of rape to be brought against him so that way he could be put in prison. God's sovereignty allowed this to happen so Joseph could be put into prison. So Joseph's now in prison. And what happens in verse 1, you have the butler, you have the baker that are in prison as well too. They got in trouble. And as they're in trouble, they have a hard time with dreams. Verse 6, Joseph came into them in the morning, looked at them and saw that they were sad. Why do you look so sad today? Sovereignty of God that these two guys are in prison with Joseph. And Joseph cared enough to ask them how they were doing. So the baker tells his dream. The butler tells his dream. Didn't work out real well for the baker. Worked out pretty well for the butler. Butler gets his job back. And as the butler gets his job back, Joseph said, Hey, could you do me a favor? When you get back in front of Pharaoh, could you please remember me? But what happens? Verse 23, Get the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. The sovereignty of God, the butler forgot. Now men, when your wife asks you to do something this week and you forgot, you just look at her and say, the sovereignty of God had me forget to do what you wanted me to do. Because that's what Pastor James said. And then she'll call me and I'll say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea. The sovereignty of God, the guy forgets. How long did he forget for? Verse 41, then it came to pass at the end of two years. We know that Joseph was in uh, Potiphar's house and in prison for 13 years. We know that. Went to Egypt at 17, got out at 30. That we do know. How long was he in prison, Potiphar's house? We don't know. We know it was a minimum of two years he was in prison. He could have been 11 years in Potiphar's house and two years in prison. It could have been six months in Potiphar's house and 12 and a half years in prison. We don't know. But so far, the Lord has allowed all these things to happen. And guess what? In the sovereignty of God, now the Pharaoh has a dream. You remember the dream? Seven skinny cows, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, eat the seven fat cows. Pharaoh doesn't know what to think. And then all of a sudden, the butler remembers, hey, I know a guy who's good at dreams. After two years. So they called Joseph out of prison. Joseph comes and interprets the dream. Tells him what's going to happen. Verse 37 of Genesis 41. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You, may, you shall be over my house and over all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took a signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. The sovereignty of God brought Joseph now to this position. 
How? Because he had to be forgotten about in prison for two years. He had to have a false accusation of rape against him. He had to be sold to Potiphar. He had to be kidnapped by his brothers. And he had to have dreams that he didn't ask for. And his birth had to be at the right time so his mom couldn't have a child at that moment. And all this has to work out to get him to this point at this time right now. And this is 13 years. Actually, it's 30 years in the making, 13 years of in prison. Guys, you have to trust. If you are here this morning and you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, walking in him, you have to trust that what is ever coming your way, the Lord is allowing and using. Romans 8, 28, and all things he works for the good of those that love him that are called according to his purposes. God's definition of good may be different than your definition of good. Just like it says that Joseph was successful and blessed while a slave, you have to trust that the Lord is moving and working. We have to trust that these things God used. And we know that the Bible did use these things. If you're a note taker, write it down. We won't turn there. Psalm 105. Psalm 105, verse 18. When you read it, it's going to say that Joseph's neck was put into irons. He was put into irons. If you really study that out, and some translations translate it this way, it means his soul, his mind was put into iron. What it means is this, that during those 13 years of prison and slavery, God was preparing Joseph for something bigger and better than what no one could have ever imagined. Do you think Joseph, as soon as he got thrown in that pit by his brother, stopped and said, hey, in 13 years I'll be the most powerful man in Egypt? No, of course not. You are going through something right now and you have to trust that the Lord is molding you, shaping you, and taking your soul and putting it into iron for something bigger, deeper, and better. You have to. And then when you trust that the Lord is moving in ways you can't see, now you can respond like Joseph. Go to Genesis 45, please. Genesis 45. You remember the story. The brothers come because of the famine. They have to get food. Joseph kind of plays this game with them for a little bit to figure out where their hearts are like. And it finally comes time for the big reveal that he is Joseph, that 13 years ago you sold me as a slave. And what is Joseph's response? Verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near him. They said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Who did it? God. Verse 6. For these two years the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. And to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Can you imagine that? Thirteen years later, there's no bitterness. There's no anger. He says, guys, it wasn't you. It was God. God sent me here, verse 5. Verse 7, God sent me before you. Verse 8, it was not you. Look at verse 8 one more time. So no, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Talk about a guy trusting the sovereignty of the Lord. No anger, no bitterness, no resentment, no nothing. God allowed all this to happen, guys. He sent me and allowed this to happen. In fact, he wanted this to happen to save your lives. One more on this. Now jump ahead to Genesis 50, please. Genesis 50. Jacob, his dad, moves to Egypt. Jacob dies, and now the brothers are concerned. Dad's dead. Joseph wouldn't do anything while dad was alive. But now that dad's dead, Joseph's going to come back and get revenge on us for what we did. Genesis 50. 
Start with me in verse 18. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Good. What are you saying, Joseph? You're saying it was good that you had a false accusation of rape? You're saying it was good you were sold as a slave? You're saying it was good you were thrown into prison? You're saying it was good that your brothers hated you? All that was good? Yeah. You're saying you have no anger, animosity, bitterness towards your brother, but you really believe the Lord allowed this to happen and God moved these puzzle pieces? Yeah. Wow. And we sit here and complain about weather, jobs, vehicles, sovereignty of God and to prove that Joseph's heart was not bitter in any way whatsoever just three more verses and we're done jump back to Genesis 41 please Genesis 41 Joseph gets married while he's in Egypt he has a couple boys Genesis 41 take a look at verse 50 and to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, who Azanoth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Manasseh means exactly that, forgetful. Ephraim means fruitfulness. Joseph names his kids forgetful and fruitful. To say, you know what, I'm not going to remember the past, the hurt, the pain, the bitterness. I'm just going to forget it. And in fact, I'm going to focus on the fruitfulness of where I'm at right now. Listen, God love you guys, and I'm not trying to be mean or judgmental. Some of you got to learn forgetfulness and fruitfulness. You want to walk in bitterness. You want to walk in the past. You want to remember every bad thing that happened to you, every wrong thing that's happened to you, and you want to take the sovereignty of God, toss it out a window, and you want to walk in bitterness, anger, and frustration over life choices and what's going on. Be like Joseph. Forget. Be like Joseph. Be fruitful. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he goes, One thing I do, forgetting my past and looking forward to the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Some of you are so focused on the bitterness and anger at your past, you are not moving forward in Christ in any way whatsoever. And you wonder why you don't have joy. You wonder why you don't have peace. You wonder why you're not fruitful. Because instead of being like Joseph, you want to sit there and rehash everything that happened. Forget and be fruitful. And you're going to sit here probably and say, yeah, but you don't know. Last verse, Genesis 49, please. Genesis 49 is Jacob's deathbed. He calls his boys around and he blesses each one of them and gives a little prophecy over them. And look what he says when it comes to Joseph. Genesis 49, verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. He's fruitful. He's blessed. Why is he fruitful and blessed? Because he spent 13 years as a slave and in prison. He spent 13 years being refined and molded and shaped, and his soul put into iron, according to Psalm 105. And he did not get bitter about it. Because he realized God's hand was on this. The Lord allowed this to happen. In fact, he said, brothers, you didn't do this. God did this. And he says in Genesis 50, remember, he says, God uses for good. 
And you may be saying, yeah, but look at what's happening in my life. Look at verse 23. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. There's no denying what happened. Verse 23, people are taking shots at him. His brothers wanted him dead. They hated him. Joseph said, no bitterness, no anger, sovereignty of God. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Wow. I tell you, guys. There is this dichotomy of God is sovereign, but yet I'm making choices. And I have to trust that when something comes into my life, God says, I'm using this for good, even though you don't see it. And that's why Joseph could be blessed and successful and have the favor of the Lord upon him as a slave, as a prisoner, false accusations of rape. He can still be successful, blessed, and have God's favor on him. That's why Joseph can look back and say, I'm naming my kids forgetfulness and fruitfulness because I'm not going to let the past control me. I'm going to be able to look at my brothers and say, yeah, you didn't do this. God allowed this, and it was good that he did. I'm not expecting you to get this all right now, but I want you to start allowing that concept of the sovereignty of God to come into your life. And when things don't work out the way you want and you choose to define good different than God, blessed different than God, remember God's definition of good and blessed. Now, I do have to say this little caveat here at the end of this. I truly do believe in the sovereignty of God and I truly do believe in personal choices that I make. And those personal choices can take me deeper in the Lord or take me farther away from the Lord. If you're making choices that are not biblical, if you're making choices that are not aligned in God's will, you're going to create a lot of problems for yourself. Stop, repent, forsake, and move forward in God's plan and be blessed. Trust His sovereignty that whatever happens in your life is for His good and for His glory and it will make it good for you. The Lord is moving in ways you can't even see. And let the life of Joseph be a reminder of that. Worship team, if you can come forward here for the final song. Final announcement here. Uh, we're getting ready to start planning our summer baptism. So if you are interested in getting baptized, the Lord has laid that on your heart. A little check in your spirit. Pray about it. Confirm it. And if you're interested, come talk to me. love to get a chance to talk to you about what baptism means and represents. And it's a wonderful step forward in your walk in relationship with Christ. So we'll get over here to uh, Riley and Mar for the final song. And we'll close you out with a word of prayer.